I'm Evan Nappert, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. Say, I have some <clears throat> really great news, and that's something that uh, when it comes to guns in Jersey, you don't always get to say, but it truly is. And that's because New Jersey has, probably unknowingly, but in fact they have done it, restored the gun rights to thousands of individuals who were otherwise being denied their gun rights. And I'm talking about individuals that had out-of-state convictions for misdemeanors. And I want to explain why this is so and how it is so and give you some specific information here because this is going to help so many people that have been wrongfully denied through the years. You see, New Jersey breaks down its classes of offenses under NJS 2C colon 4-1. It's important that I give you the statute numbers in case anybody listening needs to actually reference the law. I don't mean to bore you with these numbers, but the numbers will bring you right to the law itself so you can see it and even provide it to a licensing bureaucrat who maybe doesn't understand it or know it, or anybody else that may have that concern. So if you look under classes of offenses, it begins where New Jersey identifies what types of offenses are and how they break down. And what determines primarily a class of offense has to do with the uh, imprisonment or jail time. That's an important factor, you see. So New Jersey starts by saying any offense defined by this code, meaning New Jersey's code, or any other statute in this state, New Jersey, okay, which a sentence of imprisonment is in excess of six months, constitutes a crime within the meaning of the Constitution of New Jersey. So New Jersey calls what we would readily identify as felonies. They don't use the term felony in New Jersey. They use the term crime. So if you've been convicted of a crime in New Jersey, that means a felony-level offense. And if you've been convicted of a felony-level offense, of course you're a prohibited person as a felon under New Jersey law and, for the most part, federal law as well. Now, the lesser offenses that we might consider to be misdemeanors, New Jersey doesn't use that word either. They use the word disorderly person's offense. And the reason that that is confusing is people confuse disorderly person's offense with disorderly conduct. And we're not talking about disorderly conduct, although some disorderly conduct might be a disorderly person's offense. A disorderly person's offense is that lesser level non-felony, which Jersey calls crime. So we have crimes and disorderly person's offenses. So you don't want to be convicted of a crime. Of course, you don't want to be convicted of anything, but a crime disenfranchises you. 
of your Second Amendment rights. Then New Jersey says, and this is key, that an offense defined by the laws of any other jurisdiction for which a sentence of imprisonment in excess of one year is authorized shall be considered a crime when the reference is made by this code or any statute of this state to such offense. And so what you see there is if it's over a year and it's in reference to other states, then it's a crime if it's over a year. But in New Jersey, if it's a New Jersey offense that's over six months, then it becomes a crime on the New Jersey side. So New Jersey then has what are called disorderly persons offenses and crimes. And as a subset below disorderly persons offenses are what's called petty disorderly persons offenses. So in New Jersey, if you're convicted of a petty disorderly person's offense, that carries a max of 30 days jail. If you're convicted of a disorderly person's offense, that has a max of six months jail. And then New Jersey jumps in its statutes to crimes. And that's where a crime of the fourth degree, that's the lowest level of crime, that's 18 months and then a third degree is up to five years, and a second degree is up to 10 years, and a first degree is up to 20 years. That's how Jersey breaks it down. So in the past, if an individual has had a conviction for an out-of-state misdemeanor for which the maximum jail was one year, New Jersey formally took a position that since it was over six months, it was a crime, even though it's not a felony-level offense under federal law or other jurisdictions, but New Jersey put it in that category. It no longer is because it clarifies here that it has to be over one year to be a crime, but it doesn't only lay it out in 2C1-4, but also, very importantly, under NJS 2C 44-4, where it's specifically the definition of prior conviction, conviction in another jurisdiction, and proof of prior conviction. That section specifically states now that a prior conviction in another jurisdiction, a conviction in another jurisdiction, shall constitute a prior conviction of a crime if a sentence of imprisonment in excess of one year was authorized under the law of that other jurisdiction. And previously, basically only a year ago or less, it was six months in that section of the law, but it has been changed now to one year. And that dramatically helps thousands of New Jerseyans that had been denied, particularly because they had out-of-state misdemeanor convictions in which their maximum jail time was one year, but New Jersey 
was viewing it as conviction of a crime. New Jersey no longer sees it as a crime. It is no longer a disqualifier in New Jersey in the way that a crime is. And if you go to the licensing statute under 58.3 for New Jersey's <clears throat> Fire and Purchaser ID card, New Jersey's permit to purchase a handgun, and New Jersey's carry permit, which, by the way, New Jersey's carry permit is open to non-residents as well as residents. If any non-resident, or a Jersey resident for that matter, has a prior conviction for a misdemeanor for which the maximum jail was one year or less, you are qualified to get a gun license now in Jersey, whereas in the past you would have been disqualified, and many, many people were. So if you're hearing this or you know someone who had this problem, they no longer have this problem, and they can apply and receive their gun license now without this particular issue being a bar. And it is a great thing because particularly those that had convictions in other jurisdictions that did not have expungement or annulment. And one of the key places there is, is New York because New York didn't have the ability to get your record expunged or annulled. And if you had a conviction in New York for even a felony, then for you to get your rights restored, you would get this uh, relief from disability, this waiver of disability where uh, the court says, yeah, you did have this conviction, but we're relieving you of the disability for gun ownership and in fact your gun rights are now restored and even though you have this conviction your gun rights are restored and that certificate of relief works in new york and it's even recognized by the federal government as restoring your gun rights but new jersey refused to recognize it because new jersey says oh sorry you're still convicted we don't care that the court in new york whose conviction we're recognizing says that you get your gun rights back. We don't. Well, now, if you've had a conviction for a misdemeanor in New York and the maximum jail was one year or less, New Jersey no longer sees it as a crime, and whether you have a relief from disabilities or not is irrelevant. You can not uh, be barred based on this conviction uh, as a disqualifier because the law has changed. So that'll be very helpful to many folks that have been to this moment stopped from exercising their Second Amendment rights in New Jersey. And for new applicants from out of state that wish to apply for a carry license in New Jersey, a carry permit that is now eligible to actually get because of the elimination of justifiable need, and the Bruin decision of the United States Supreme Court uh, making it clear that that need requirement is no good. And New Jersey does not uh, distinguish between residents and non-residents. Uh, the only difference is where you apply. So if you're a 
non-resident, you apply to the nearest state police barracks in New Jersey to wherever you live as a non-resident. So this opens the door for a lot of folks. I'm really happy about that, seeing gun rights restored in New Jersey to so many people. Those are the specific statutes that you need to know, particularly and directly is that NJS 2C colon 44-4, as well as the interplay with NJS 2C 1-4, and that is the law now, and it is actually a tremendous benefit to gun rights. I know it's a shocking that I'm saying this, that New Jersey, I know, look out the window, look for those pigs with wings, but there it is, folks. And uh, when we get back, I have a very important warning for you to understand uh, so that you don't become a victim of some other games that are being played in New Jersey. Talk to you in a moment. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law. A bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a Hey folks, welcome back to Gun Lawyer. I'm Evan Knappen, and I am really happy to be speaking to you, and uh, I love my listeners so much, and it's really an honor to be able to speak to you in this way and get the message out and get this news out and tell you these uh, things that really you're not going to find anywhere else to learn about. And these things can be very helpful. Sometimes they're scary. There's other things that can protect you by having the knowledge. And today, right now, I need to explain to you about something you need to be aware of, warned about. And it comes from a client actually calling me with this, but I've had this happen any number of times. And what it is is the so-called, ready for this, firearms audit. Ah, uh, that's right. I know when it comes to Taxes, no one wants to hear that word audit. Well, you should have the same reaction if someone talks about a so-called firearm audit. 
And the thing about a firearm audit is it doesn't exist anywhere in law. It's not as if there's a statute authorizing a so-called firearms audit. And uh, even if there was, that would self be highly questionable and probably unconstitutional on top of the way they do these uh, gun laws. But right now, there's no such thing as a firearms audit. Yet, I have people being requested by police to have a so-called firearms audit. What it means is the police want to come to your house. They want to come into your house, invade your privacy, look in your gun safe, examine your guns, record serial numbers, take pictures, whatever, and do a complete, quote, audit, audit of your guns, right? Well, let me just say, the Second Amendment, under text history and tradition, which is, of course, the burden that the state has to show to show that the law is constitutional, good luck showing the firearms audit in history. Uh, the last time that was tried, you know, it was like general gauge, maybe, with the colonists. It didn't turn out real well when you wanted to audit their guns and seize them, no less. Auditing guns, not a good idea. Invading your privacy, not a good idea. And what happens is, look, I know we, we, it's not about being anti-police. Please don't interpret it that way. It's about being pro-rights. And you don't need a situation to escalate with an audit of your guns as to whether anything is legal or not legal and onto all these different debates and the law itself is so confusing and acquisition and storage, etc. Here's the deal, folks. You have to be a responsible gun owner. You know you cannot allow a minor to access a loaded firearm, okay? If you don't know that, I don't know what planet you've been living on, all right? Every sign and every dealer, you get the warning, you get handed it, you get told it, okay? It's for real. You got to be conscientious about that. And that is the law. And you know not to let unauthorized people access your firearms. You know to store your firearms safely and securely. And you know the rules of safety. You live by them. You literally live by them. That's what you do. But when it comes to a so-called firearm audit, no way. That's just an intrusion, an intrusion that is asking for escalation and trouble where the laws are going to be uh, utilized in such a way, such as the licensing laws, the laws on revocation, the laws that get abused every day, turpos, red flagged, you name it, that just gives the background for enhancing whatever rights-taking action the government wants to do or is being encouraged to do by some political narrative or agenda, and I've seen it all. So this client said, oh, police called about wanting to do a firearm audit because their kid said something stupid in school. Now, granted, the kid said something stupid in school. All right. But in today's day, you know, you get the gigantic overreaction to some stupid thing an eighth grader says, right? And... There's no danger, there's no problem, ah, but parents own guns. Parents own guns, yes, so. 
Parents own guns, but now we better do a firearms audit. Oh, come on, firearms audit. Well, luckily the person called me and I was able to uh, respectfully decline the offer of a firearms audit, folks, on behalf of my client. Okay, I'm not going to have your privacy rights violated, Second Amendment rights, put you in a spot of being looked at as a criminal because you want to exercise your Second Amendment rights. not happening. And you need to know if this is ever a question that comes your way, for whatever reason, you immediately call counsel. Call an attorney right away that knows gun law and can become a shield between you and the government and deal with this. Because this this stuff is uh, it's just outrageous, and there's no shame. It seems on any. I mean, can you imagine in the older days, some bureaucrat or some police officer, some asking, you know, say, "Oh, mind we do a firearms audit? Want to come in your house? We want to, you know, look at all your stuff and all." You know, you know who would you know? But now people just get conditioned conditioned and you know and it's difficult i get it's difficult if law enforcement makes this request you know law enforcement is asking you you know can you mind we do a firearms audit you know and you're put on the spot you know it's almost you know like uh, the mob asking you (laughs) now they're not of course they're not organized crime i don't but you know the pressure you don't want to get anybody upset you're not looking to be that way i get it you're not looking to, uh, you know, you're a law-abiding citizen. You support the police. You, you don't want to be disrespectful. But on the other hand, you want to stand firmly on your rights. You do not want your rights violated. And if you really think about it, and it's true, it's offensive. You know, today, everyone's getting offended about all kinds of things that are not offensive. But if I'm or you or someone I love is being asked to have their privacy invaded and to be inspected, detected, and selected, to have their firearms looked at, examined, and gun safes opened. And I mean, just a violation there, the Fourth Amendment, Second Amendment, all the. I'm going to tell you straight out, I find it offensive. Yes, I do. I find it offensive that they would even ask. And I mean it. But nowadays, uh, no problem, we'll ask and see if we can you know, get them to let us have a fishing expedition. That's always fun. I like going fishing. Let's have a fishing expedition at your expense. Because that's what it is. And you're not going to do that. You're not going to let that happen. you got to stand on, on your rights, all our rights. Many, many brave men and women sacrifice for our rights. Just going to roll over and give them up and, what, disrespect their sacrifice like that? Of course not. Sometimes, you know, you feel you need someone to help you in asserting your rights. Well, that's okay. That's how our system's designed. It's not a problem. Smart people get an attorney. Smart people ask their attorney for advice. Smart people put an attorney between them and the government. That's what smart people do. 
And the people that don't do it, that have problems, well, they're not so smart, are they? So think about it. Stand on your rights. Don't give in. Don't feel intimidated. It's one of the things about being an American citizen. One of the things we treasure, one of the things that we still have, trying to chip away at it, that's for sure. And it's always eternal vigilance to maintain them. But we have them. And the best way to keep them is to exercise them. So remember that. Don't ever give in to the so-called firearms audit. Good grief. This is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. Oh, no, they protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.